The scripture reading for tonight comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 8, verses 21 to 33. Again he said to them, I go away and you will seek me and die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. Then said the Jews, Will he kill himself since he says where I am going, you cannot come? He said to them, You are from below, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins, for you will die in your sins unless you believe that I am he. They said to him, Who are you? Jesus said to them, Even what I have told you from the beginning, I have much to say about you and much to judge, but he who sent me is true, and I declare to the world that I have heard from him. They did not understand that he spoke to them of the Father. So Jesus said, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak thus as the Father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do what is pleasing to him. As he spoke thus, many believed in him. Jesus then said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you continue in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. They answered him, We are descendants of Abraham and have never been in bondage to anyone. How is it that you say you will be made free? The word of the Lord. I am in protest, and I've just involved all of you in my protest, but I figure that you're, you people, you're always, well, you're always up for a good protest. I wish it were an edgy political or social protest, but it's actually just, well, it's a nerdy liturgical one. I hope that's okay. Today is Trinity Sunday. It's everyone's favorite lesser festival day. The first Sunday after Pentecost. The festival marks the beginning of what's called ordinary time, the longest liturgical season, from Pentecost all the way into Advent. And so to mark the new beginning, the lectionary prescribes the so-called Great Commission from Matthew's Gospel. You probably are familiar, but all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now, I realize that most preachers would probably die to preach this text, but it kills me. I mean, really, what is there to say? I mean, let's be honest for just a minute. This thing has not gone well. I mean, the whole project of making disciples of all nations, it's just been a flood of failure the history of the teaching and the practice around this text, it's just not helpful. It's actually so unhelpful that I cannot imagine a situation 
in which this text seems immediately appropriate. I just don't have anything to say about this text. And so I chose another text because I wonder, well, I wonder if maybe a more humble commissioning might be in order. You know, it's a little thing really, but what if the whole make disciples thing, what if we we gave that up just for a little bit? And what if we just tried to tell the truth? In this episode from John, the reading that Debbie read, we find a rather curious teaching about truth-telling. Jesus starts off by predicting his death. Where I am going, you cannot go. Obviously confused, the disciples wonder if he's going to commit suicide. The mere mention of such a thing, of course, eliminates this text from any possibility of ending up in the lectionary. Jesus then responds somewhat arrogantly, but probably appropriately, saying, Why do I speak to you at all? He then manages to get over his Messiah complex, and he predicts that when he has been raised up, they will come to understand who he really is. Jesus then encourages them, saying, If you continue in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. And while no one expects for them to understand the full breadth of what Jesus is saying, the disciples respond. (laughs) They respond with what may be the most ridiculous claim in all of Scripture, We are descendants of Abraham, and we have never been slaves to anyone. What do you mean by saying you will be made free? I mean, wow, right? Wow. I mean, this is the kind of statement that feeds the 24-hour news organizations. This is so wrong, even Sarah Palin would wonder where they're learning their history. There's just no real excuse for this kind of false statement. I mean, they either have amnesia, they're willfully incompetent, they're just in such denial of reality that they're lying. I mean, all this confusion, misunderstanding, and falsehood surrounding this focal point of Jesus' teaching on truth raises for me an important question. If knowing the truth is critical to freedom in Christ. And this is the episode that the biblical authors use to illustrate this teaching. Aren't we in bad shape? I mean, do people even tell the truth anymore? It seems like in every corner of our culture, we have high-profile cases in which elaborate lies lies destroy lives. Bernie Madoff, Martha Stewart, Barry Bonds, Scooter Libby, just last week, Anthony Weiner, and the list could go on and on. I mean, sometimes I seriously doubt I know what it means to tell the truth. And so I was, well, a little surprised when I learned about Dietrich Bonhoeffer and about the ways that he struggled with telling the truth the theologian and martyr of the confessing church in Nazi Germany wrestled deeply with this very question. 
He wrestled with it both practically and existentially because there is a profound relationship between truth-telling and discipleship in today's protest gospel reading. Perhaps Bonhoeffer's attempts to tell the truth and to be a disciple can teach us something. Maybe we'll start just in the middle of the story. On June 17, 1940, Hitler's forces had just defeated France. And it was at this point that everything changed for Bonhoeffer. Before he was quite sure that a military coup was imminent, Bonhoeffer now underwent a complete reorientation. His close friend and later his biographer would write of this moment that the goal of eliminating Hitler could no longer be a restoration of the past. The road to something new would be infinitely more lengthy and costly. The form of that goal, the form it would take, would be unknown. That year, Bonhoeffer himself took a sort of great commission. He took a commission with the military intelligence agency. And under the cover of work as a pastor, he traveled from congregation to congregation. He became a courier for the intelligence agency. And in actuality, however, he was really a double agent. His commission was protection from the Gestapo and a way out of being enlisted into the army. At the same time that he began his work for the conspiracy, he began to write a book on ethics. And there in the opening pages he wrote, What is worse than doing evil is being evil. It is worse for a liar to tell the truth than for a lover of the truth to lie. But Bonhoeffer struggled immensely to write such things while living a life of total deceit. He was, after all, a double agent. He carried with himself a deep guilt about this involvement, and he never justified any of his actions, even to the end of eliminating Hitler. Discipleship for Bonhoeffer was something that could only be lived concretely in a particular time and place. To want to be only a Christian, a timeless sort of disciple, that now became a costly privilege. And to become engaged for his times from where he stood, that was far more open to misinterpretation. It was less glorious, more confined. And then finally, in 1943, his confinement became literal when he was imprisoned. And while he was in prison, he worked hard on that book on ethics because for him, ethics could never be separated from reality. And whole sections of this book were enclosed into letters that he smuggled out through his friend. Among these were pieces of an essay that he began. He called it, What is Meant by Telling the Truth. And in this essay, Bonhoeffer makes a rather beautiful claim. He says that telling the truth means something different according to the particular situation in which we find ourselves in. That the truth told by our parents to their children is not the same as the truth told by children to their parents. 
I'm not sure if that's good news on Father's Day, but I'm going to go with it. And that the truth that's owed to God is surely owed only to God. But that cannot ever mean disregarding the actual world we live in. We owe the truth to a living God who entered the world through Jesus, through a particular set of relationships, in a particular time and place. Truth, which is not concrete in this way, it just isn't truth before God. So Bonhoeffer claims that telling the truth must be learned, that it takes careful attention to appreciate real situations, to reflect on them, and to find the right word for each occasion. Going even further, Bonhoeffer claims that our relationships are reflected in our speech, that this is what is true or false. We are true or false, just like Jesus claims God is true in our protest gospel reading. Words have homes in places and in certain times. Bonhoeffer wrote that the word which has come to life in the warmth of a personal relationship is frozen to death in the cold air of public existence. The word of command that has its habitat in public service would sever the bonds of mutual confidence if it were ever spoken in a family. Genuine words have been replaced by idle chatter. Words no longer possess any weight. There's too much talk, which probably sounds obvious at about page six of this sermon. But I think that the limit of our words, when those limits are obliterated, when words become rootless, when they become homeless, then the word loses its truth. And then, indeed, there's almost always lying. I love this almost as much as I love what he says about silence. That the purpose of our words is to express the real, the real as it exists in God. And that the purpose of our silence, the purpose of our silence is to signify the limit which is imposed upon our words by the real as it exists in God. Now, I've used too many words for my protest of the Great Commission in the lectionary on Trinity Sunday, but they're words that I pray signify our silence and the limits of what could be said about making disciples or even truth-telling. By the way, Bonhoeffer, he was silenced before he could finish that little essay on telling the truth. They killed him before he could finish telling the truth about telling the truth. 